thing through uh, the uh, heroes of this, the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, so this morning we're going to be uh, sort of week two on Abraham. And so we will be in uh, jumping between Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 22 is really where we'll spend the bulk of our time just talking about this story um, of, um, of Abraham because many of us uh, either may not have heard it for a while or may, may not have... Uh, may not have uh, any Bible knowledge. We want to make everybody feel welcome. So uh, we'll be going through that uh, together. So um, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 or Genesis 22. So um, by way of introduction or opening, uh, how many of you are really, really good test takers? Like you, I mean, you can walk in and whether you are somebody that studies a lot or whether you are somebody that just can walk in without, is anybody one of those people that can walk in without any studying and just ace it? Like every time you have a, wow, see we hired a good one here, so that, that's good. So Jacob, uh, that was a good, good one. So I am not uh, an acer as my background, but I, I sort of put test takers into four different categories and at different times maybe you've uh, felt like uh, there's uh, one area or not. And the first area would be the acers. Those are those people that either through Lots of hard work uh, that they feel is important that they spend time studying or people who can just walk into a test without any back knowledge and just ace it. There are you. You are the acers. Congratulations. I will never be one of you. Uh, number two, uh, you may fit into this category. They are the bombers. Uh, it doesn't matter if they, if they study all week long. They will get there. Their anxiety will get the better of them. And they, you might as well just write F at the top. It just is easier. It makes everybody feel better uh, as they begin to try to turn it into an capital A, uh, been there, uh, done that. Um, there's also the squeakers. Uh, those are the people that you would think they just won the lottery if they get a C minus or a D minus. It's anywhere in that range. A C minus to D minus is as good as a B plus or an A plus. It's like, all right, I can handle this. I, was, I tended to be a squeaker. I'm just going to be quite frank with you guys. And there's the other group, and those are the glancers. Those are the people that don't study are not smart enough to pass the test, and so they glance over in everybody else's work uh, to try to pass the test. Um, and so uh, generally, I was a squeaker. Uh, I, I was a squeaker. I would squeak by by the skin of my teeth. Regardless of how much I studied, I would squeak by uh, just enough. I mean, I would bring C's home, and my parents take me out for my ice cream. I mean, if I got a C or C+, plus, it was like, we're going to Dairy Queen. Anybody? Dairy Queen, Blizzard, Buster Bar, Parfait? Are we there? All right. So. Um, this is kind of how I responded through junior high. I just settled for being a squeaker and would just kind of waltz through, uh, hoping that I would do well. And then I got to ninth grade uh, US history class, and I have met my match. Uh, there was no way to squeak through my US history class uh, with Mr. Malloy, who was this phenomenal teacher. Uh, but uh, he would make sure that you had everything that you needed to pass every test every week. I mean, he was a phenomenal teacher, uh, but I was an obstinate student and, and did not learn. And so I received my first official grade on a report card F, which are much harder to turn into an A for your parents, uh, and actually had to redo my US history class. So this is confession uh, time. Had to redo my US history class second or first semester of my senior year. I had to go back and sit with a bunch of sophomores and redo uh, my class so that I would be able uh, to graduate. So uh, in our current culture, uh, in the same way that I had this phenomenal teacher, Mr. Malloy, he was such an influence on me 
that I actually took him the next year. Uh, I took him for economics one and two the next two years because I just loved what a great teacher he is. And in our culture that we're in right now, one of the things I noticed, although Mr. Malloy was a phenomenal teacher, I was a horrible student. Um, and, and I don't ever judge Mr. Malloy for not allowing me to pass, even though I tried slipping him money. Uh, but in the current culture that we live in, uh, I think we've gotten our school systems a little bit backwards in this area because we have turned the grades, and, and I realize this is going to open up some wounds for some people, but we have turned uh, the grading of the students and decided to judge the teachers on their performance instead of uh, the students on their performance. And I think a lot of times when we go through uh, seasons of testing, I think a lot of us are tempted to do the same thing, that we look at our circumstances and we look at the test that God has got us in, the season of testing that God has got us in, and we begin to judge the teacher instead of realizing that this was actually meant for our benefit and for us. And so we're going to be looking at, um, at Abraham as he walks through this very odd story in Genesis chapter 22 and how he responded through the testing. So just to catch everybody up, so God had given... Abraham, uh, several, fold, uh, uh, several folds of promise last week. And one of those promises that we're going to be looking at this week is the promise of a son uh, who would be named Isaac, who would be his heir. And so God reaffirms, reaffirms, reaffirms this promise. It has now arrived. It was 25 years in the making for Abram, uh, who would then become Abraham. And uh, finally, Isaac is on the scene. Uh, and, and 25 years later, this big promise has shown up. Several uh, little glimpses of fulfillment in other promises that God had made had showed up. And where we ended last week uh, was this picture of uh, two rocking chairs. We didn't have these up here last week, but two rocking chairs. And in one of them was sitting Sarah. And she would repeatedly be able to say, God is faithful. I mean, if you look at the whole story of Abraham and Sarah, in the end, she comes to this great knowledge of God, this way that God has shown himself to be, uh, to be uh, present in her story, and, and the knowledge she has about God and, and almost the name she has for God is God is faithful. And so we ended the story last week with uh, Sarah in one chair. Abraham should probably have been in the green one. I get it. Uh, and, and Sarah was in one chair saying, uh, God is faithful, and Abe is in the other chair and, and, and the, the way that he encountered God, he said that God was eternal. And so he came to realize that not only is God as faithful as, as Sarah's in, 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 one, in one side saying, Boy, God is faithful, Abe. God is faithful. Abraham's in the other side saying, Every day, God is faithful. Every day, God is faithful. And as they walked out their promises of God and, and, and God was beginning to develop this, this picture of, of who he was to the people around them, deepening their understanding of him, we're going to see that God's going to add one more layer to this. And it only comes through testing. It only comes through testing. Uh, today we're going to look, we're going to fast forward roughly 16 to 20 years from when Isaac is born. Okay, so uh, many of you have read, if you were, uh, if you were a flannel graph person uh, or you watched Veggie Tales in, in, uh, you know, as you grew up in, in church or those little churchy, uh, cheesy cartoons, uh, whoever it was on the screen, uh, it probably showed the story of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, 
No, it didn't because it's gruesome. But uh, this story of Abraham and Isaac, uh, we often picture Isaac as being this little child uh, that was going to go through a pretty tumultuous story with his dad. Uh, but he was probably, most people believe, between 16 and 21 uh, years of age. And here's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says. Um, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he, didn't, he did receive him back. And so let's go ahead and uh, open in a word of prayer, and then we'll be in Genesis 22 uh, pretty much the rest of the time. I'll reference Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11 a little bit. Uh, and so that is uh, just kind of the, uh, the outcome of the story that we're going to read today. God, thank you for your word. God, we thank you for its perfection. And God, as we open it, I pray that we would encounter uh, you. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts, God, that we would fall madly in love with you uh, this morning, Lord Jesus. I pray for those that are, are seeking, Lord. They're seeking you to, um, they don't even understand how to explain it, but you have drawn them here this morning. I pray that you would show them your power, uh, that you'd speak to their heart, that they would surrender their lives to you, God, and I pray that we would all um, just encounter you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, God is going to be uh, testing Abram. He's going to go ahead and uh, and this is after Abraham had come to faith. This wasn't like God pressuring him to come to faith in him. Uh, this was after he was uh, following God by faith. Uh, the picture of us uh, when we're tested after we're a believer is for our benefit. Um, the test is for us so that God receives more glory from our lives as we follow him by faith. That's why God tests us. Because God can gain more glory through us as we're tested and we come to know him in a personal way. Here's how 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, this idea. This is why we're testing. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And here's, what, here's the underliner portion of this. So that, the, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes, though it is refined or tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter uh, writes about the idea of testing, and he's like, look, here's why we go through various trials. Uh, here's why we go through the testing of our faith. It's so that the purity, the genuineness is brought out, and then you can deal with it. You, you know, when, when I'm pressed and when I'm testing, you know what often happens? I lose my cool and get frustrated. I mean, maybe none of you are like that. Maybe you're all acers and, and I'm just the minority. But man, when I'm tested, some of the worst things in me are flushed out. Peter writes, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know who shows up? when we're tested, it's Jesus Christ. 
It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. You, you're, you're left with, when you're tested, what you believe about God. You're left with, at the end of the day, Jesus. So that it can result in more praise and more honor and more glory. God is straining every impurity out of us when we go through a season of testing. And that's exactly what he's going to do uh, in the life of Abraham. So Genesis chapter 22, uh, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Offer your son, your only son. Your only son. God reminds him of the value of Isaac. This is what you are leaving. This is the promise that I gave you. So don't just take your son. Take your only son. Take your best, and I want you to sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you. Uh, this Mount Moriah will become uh, the place of Solomon's temple. And repeatedly, day after day, what would happen when the temple was built is sacrifices would happen over and over and over again for the temporal covering of sin. As people lived out their faith prior to Jesus, they sacrificed day after day after day on this very mountain. And God comes to him and he says, I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. How old was Isaac? 16 to 20 years old. He's lived with the fulfillment of the promise. He's invested in this child. He's grown him up in the faith. And now he's going to sacrifice him. The first question on the test for Abraham is, am I like every other God? You see, that's the question. The first part of this, the first question on the test for Abraham is, am I like every other God? Would I really tell you to do this? Would I really do it? In the time period, uh, in Old Testament time period, throughout the Old Testament, there were people that would uh, take their, their firstborn son and they would literally sacrifice them through some pretty gruesome means. Sometimes, depending on where they lived, they would actually throw them into a pit or into a volcano to kill their child. They believed that they needed to appease God by sacrificing their children. See, it's not just, am I like every other God? It is, do you know me, Abraham? Do you know me? Would I really tell you, would I really take you to the end like that? Would I really tell you to do this? See, a promise that is never tested is worthless. His promise is being tested. Hebrews 11.19 says on the score sheet for Abraham that he gets it right. Hebrews 11.19 says uh, that Abe, uh, for Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So he was willing to go and willing to obey because the best reasoning that he could come up with after God gave him this was, 
Well, at the very least, God's going to raise him from the dead because my God has enough power to do that. You see, he had sat in the chair professing God is this eternal God. God is this God that is faithful every day. And now it's being put to the test. Let's go on reading in, in Genesis chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. If you have a Bible or it's a pew Bible, underline that. Come again to you in verse 5. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took his hand, uh, in his hand the fire and the knife, and they both went, uh, and both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He was apparently very good at math. We have fire, we have wood, but we don't have a lamb. Um, verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So this guy hears from the Lord in verse 1 and 2. He's up all night as he's splitting wood for the fire. He's out there log after log, just making sure everything, I mean, this guy was an Adirondacker, right? So he's doing it by hand because he's got a little pride there. And he's chopping wood. Maybe he has a pneumatic splitter. Maybe you're cool like that. Uh, but he's splitting some wood and he's thinking with every strike, God is faithful. God is eternal. God is not like other gods. And he strikes the wood. He splits the wood. And after laboring in prayer, it says that he got up early the next morning. And then as they get ready to go into the woods, he says, I and the boy will come again to you. This guy is fully confident that God will provide a way out of this test. He is fully confident. It's as if Abe uh, has to skip, uh, has a skip in his step to see how God is going to work this one out. I mean, that is not me in a good day of testing. That is crazy. And this guy is almost skipping into his, you know, there are days where you might skip in the wood to offer one of your sons or daughters. Um, but this guy has seen God, that was a joke, sorry, that wasn't serious. Um, but this guy has seen God produce a child through a lot of rusty pipes and a lot of old, old parts that weren't working. And, and, and he's excited to see what God is up to in finding a solution to this. The question number two on the test for Abraham is, will you trust me? when my provision seems to be dried up? Will you trust me when my provision seems to be dried up? Abraham gets this one right. He says, I and the boy will come again to you. God will provide. God will provide the lamb. He knew there was a way through this test, and it was to not let go of the Lord and his promise. Verse 9 of uh, Genesis chapter 22 when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in, or in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took his knife to slaughter his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the, mountain that the Lord, or on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So just as Abraham's arm is about to drop with the knife in it and plunge it through his son's chest, and he was serious. The fact that in the Hebrew it repeats Abraham twice. I mean, he was already ready to come down. And the angel stops him before he does something foolish and says, no, 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 no. I see that you fear God. You have passed the test. You see, here's where many of us balk is right at this spot. Is right at this spot. We will know that God has spoken something into our hearts. Generally, the first thing to hit is fear of cost. When God calls you to do something, it is going to cost you greatly. I'm going to repeat that. When God calls you to do something, it is going to cost you. You see, the idea that, boy, if I follow God, it's just going to be, uh, you know, uh, rainbows and unicorns and everything's going to be great, just, just don't work. It's going to cost you emotionally. You're going to hear from the Lord. And you're going to say, this is going to take too great of a toll on my family or those around me. Uh, this is going to put too much strain on my marriage. Or, or just simply the love of your lifestyle controls you. It stops us dead in our tracks. And the test fails. And you see, question number three uh, that Abraham has asked is, who rules your heart? Who rules your heart? Abraham's life to this point for the last 16 to 20 years has been, I'm going to bring this kid up in the ways of the Lord. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the best I can with the promises I've been given. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to teach him to walk with the Lord. And slowly, I got to wonder, did Isaac begin to be more than just the apple of his eye, but become the longing of his heart? Had his desire for his son... Uh, become so great. And so God comes to him and with these words sort of simply asks him, am I on the throne of your heart or is Isaac? Who rules your heart? So I put as our, <laughs> I, I put as our title for today, uh, Abraham, the worst youth pastor ever. So uh, if, if you ever are at a church and the youth pastor decides he's going to sacrifice the kids. That's a bad youth pastor move, uh, unless it's on accident. But really, the title should be Thriving in the Midst of the Test. How do we thrive in the midst of our test? And I don't think this is some, uh, some great, uh, you know, uh, magical formula for thriving in the test. But I want to kind of look at Abraham. I want to look at some things, uh, you know, scripturally as we just unpack this. I'm going to give you hopefully six things, unless I... I run woefully out of time and get caught on a tangent. Um, just throw a pen at me and get me back on track. So, so number one, how do, we, how do we thrive in the test? Things to remember as you walk through the test. Uh, number one, God didn't change when your test came. 
God did not change one bit when your test came. You see, here's the, there's obviously, when, when testing occurs, and we see it in the life of Job, that at the beginning of the story of Job, when he's overly blessed, uh, Satan's response to that is to go to God and to say, but what if we take everything away from him? Uh, what, what if we take his children away from him? Uh, what if we take his health away from him? Then he'll curse you. And so there's always an, an element of spiritual warfare or, or an attack from the enemy as we go through tests. And Satan's job is to twist the test into attempt. Uh, and, and so God is, the, God is a God that tests. Uh, he tests us for our good. He tests us not because he doesn't know your heart, but he wants you to see your heart. It's not that God doesn't know your heart. He doesn't test you for his benefit. He tests you so that you understand your heart. The result of testing is going to involve you seeing your heart and you realizing your need for Christ to come in and invade your heart afresh and anew. It's always going to be an element of this. Uh, James 1, 13 and 14 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. However, uh, what Satan loves to do, what the enemy loves to do, is twist your test into attempt. The Lord's job is to test you, and the enemy's job is to tempt you within the test. And all of it is under God's sovereign control. God is not the tempter. He is the one who fully prepared you for this test. 1 Peter 1.3 says that he's given us everything we need, everything you need to succeed. It is all in his spirit. He has given it to each one of you. The father is like Mr. Miyagi. He has been teaching you for a while to wax on and wax off, and you finally are, are in the ring uh, of, of a test, and now uh, all of a sudden you're doing things you didn't realize you were doing. You're doing the flying canary, and it's all something that God has given you, driven by his spirit, as you practiced waxing a car, right? And then you moved to, to swatting out arms that are flying at you, right? Oh, I finally figured it out, right? Um, and, and the clueless look, so watch Karate Kid this week, uh, but the clueless look when the guy's like, oh, this is what it's for, right? As he's learning to do this. You see, uh, the test is not to evaluate God. God loses no street credit when you are tested. He uses your test to proclaim victory over the enemy. God is not testing you so you fail this idea of walking by faith. God is testing you so you can see A, progress, and B, ways of change. God is using this to shape you and refine you and transform you. God remains the loving Father who provides boundaries for your test, boundaries of protection. Uh, Psalm 16.6 says, The lines or boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That's the end of the test, is that we realize that we're in this test and God has put protection all around us, that this isn't going to go too far. Far enough that we need to rely on his spirit? Absolutely. Far enough that we're wondering if this is worth it? Absolutely. Because God already knows a secret. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's strong enough. He already knows the answers. God is in control as you are tested. Number two, while taking the test, the teacher is often silent. 
something that I've brought up before about testing, but I think it's always pertinent to remind ourselves. You know, you go in for, uh, you, you begin to read through Genesis chapter uh, 22, and we get God speaking in verse 2, and then there's like silence. And then as the test is further along, then the angel shouts out, wait, stop, 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 stop. So from verse 3 to 10, while the test is being taken over a couple days period, there's silence from God. There's silence. You see, uh, the teacher knows how much silence you need. Uh, the teacher knows that you need to put your cell phone away during the test. The teacher knows that they don't want you looking at other people's papers. There's silence from the teacher when there's a test given. We need to go back in those seasons to what the Lord has last spoken to find the courage to get through the test. Oftentimes we go through life and we've heard from the Lord and we haven't obeyed the Lord in certain areas. Oftentimes in the test is where we are seeking the Lord and God reminds us of the last thing that he's spoken. Uh, for Abraham, that was in Genesis 17, 19. You shall call his name Isaac. You shall have an heir. This is the one. There was no questioning in Abraham whether this Isaac was the Isaac for the test. There was no questioning at all. He knew what God had spoken. But again, Satan turns the, the test into attempt when we are tempted to add to what God has spoken or to change what he's spoken. Oftentimes we like to add to what God has spoken to come up with a way to benefit ourselves and try to get as much as we can through the season of testing. Oftentimes we try to change what God has spoken because we want a more socially acceptable, uh, we want to be more socially acceptable in, in our response. We also want it to fit in our current lifestyle. Um, you know, Abraham's not wondering, I wonder what everybody's going to think if I slaughter my son. I mean, that, that's not even on the table because God's voice is the voice that rules his heart. Number three, abiding will prepare you before and sustain you through your seasons of testing. Let me repeat that. Abiding will prepare you before and sustain you through your seasons of testing. Uh, abiding is sort of a, a, a biblical uh, a word, a, a biblical picture. And uh, in, in John 15, uh, one of the things that's talked about is that we abide as uh, the vine and the branches, that the nourishment and everything that we need uh, comes from Christ and then goes to us in, in that close relationship. I like to think of it in, in a church filled with uh, so many babies lately of uh, one of those baby burrito wrap-up things, you know, where the, the baby's wrapped up and, and it's fully, it's like strapped, sort of like a Chewbacca strap, and, and it just, the baby just lays in there right next to the mother's heart. That's the picture of abiding in Scripture. Uh, God's uh, abiding in, in Christ or being close to God's heart uh, before prepares us for the test that's coming. Because we don't know when the test is going to happen. Oftentimes, God's tests are more like pop quizzes. And so that abiding relationship that we have, where we are just getting our nourishment and our care and our protection from God, and we are unashamed to do so, unashamed to humble ourselves and say, God, I can't do this on my own. That abiding relationship, that Chewbacca strap, abiding relationship with God, prepares you for the test and then sustains you through the test so that you can look back on the test and either learn from it or praise God that he brought you through it or praise God for how he brought you through it or praise God that you can see progress from when you first started following the Lord until now. All those things are happening 
But none of that happens without an abiding relationship with Christ. God regularly takes you beyond what you can do alone and can bear. I would say daily gives you more than you can do on your own in your natural man or woman. But God's spirit is faithful. God's spirit is faithful. Verse four, or, uh, number four, keep your eyes on your own paper. All right, when taking a test, keep your eyes on your own paper. Uh, it helps that I, I started school growing up uh, for the first uh, seven grades. I was in Catholic school, and so uh, we were taught by nuns, and they carry large rulers. And so I learned very early on to keep my eyes on my own test. Um, but the teacher is responsible for handing out the grades. Don't worry what's on others' tests. Like, there's so many times when uh, the pressure hits and it's easy to look over at others and wonder two things. Why does their life seem, life seem so easy in comparison to mine? When, when you're in a season of testing, it's really easy to kind of panic and look around, like, wondering, why does it seem so easy for them and not for me? That's because you're not in their shoes and not in their head, all right? That's the, the quick answer. But the, the emotions of jealousy and anger and frustration, the feeling of, I'm just going to give up, give in, because you know what? I, I'm looking at their life, and I'm thinking, they got it good right now, and they've got something that I don't have. And number two, did you do something wrong, and is this a judgment from God? Did you do something wrong, and is this a judgment from God? And sadly, I think... Uh, I know multiple times in my life when I've fallen into either of these in a season of testing, wandering around and thinking, wow, God is judging me for something. God is like, man, he is pouring out wrath on me for something. And you can even feel embarrassed by your particular test. Like, man, I don't, I don't want everybody to know I'm going through this. And then isolation happens, and then you're off in the pickers by yourself. You see, here's the reality of uh, keeping your eyes on your own paper, of just focusing on, I'm going I'm to go through this test. Now, you may bring others and say, boy, pray for me as I go through this. You may have others involved, but you're not looking at their life saying, I want their life. You're looking to God, realizing that he's got a good plan for you, one to prosper you, not to harm you, one to give you hope in the future. Because the reality is, you don't know what mile that those people are running on. Uh, you don't know what battles that that person is fighting. You don't know, don't know what music they're listening to uh, in their ear as they're going through uh, their own particular test or their own life. And you don't know what injuries that they have that they're running the race with. I encountered all of them this week. I uh, have been attempting to run uh, lately and, and get a little more healthy. Had a doctor's visit. The first thing, words out of my doctor's mouth was, you need to lose 20 pounds. It was the best news I've had. I needed validation that I was chubby. And so uh, he just, he told me that. And I, the next day I doubled my runs. Uh, but on this run the other day, it was Friday's run, and, or, or Thursday's run, I apologize. And, and I'm, I'm chugging along really good. My running is more of a waddle. I call it a run. It makes me feel better and more healthy. Uh, but I'm chugging along on my run. And on my run, I encountered a cloud of grasshoppers on the side of the road. So as I'm running, uh, and, I, and that's the official term. Those of you, little spare change, uh, it's not a herd of grasshoppers. It's a cloud of grasshoppers. And so I'm running along. I didn't see them because they're sort of camo. And, and I'm running along, and all of a sudden, these grasshoppers are like in my mouth, in my ears. And so I'm running along the side 
side of the highway and I'm going like that. Can you imagine being the driver that sees me at that point? Uh, it, the other thing that happened on the run is I'm running along and I borrowed uh, one of my kids' iPods and there happened to be a VeggieTales song on. So I'm running along to like this hardcore Christian rap song and, then the very, and I'm a beat runner. Like I got to have a good beat to run. And all of a sudden VeggieTales comes on and I'm thinking it's a water buffalo song. This isn't a fast song. And so my pace changed. And then I encountered a hill, and as you're running uphill, man, you're, you just sweat more, and, and you're further, it was further in my run when I hit the hill, so I was like, ah, you know. But as people are driving by, I'm just picturing what they see. Yesterday's run, I, there's a snake in the road yesterday on the run. I am not a snake person. Uh, but imagine, this is us in our test. And we look to the side, and somebody's going like this. We're like, Either prideful, I'm glad I'm not that person, or judgmental, caught a grasshoppers would be a lot better than what I'm dealing with. You have no idea what I'm going through. And we can get on either side of that argument. Keep your eyes on your own paper when you're going through a test. Number five, the secret that Abe didn't have is the Holy Spirit that makes the test, every test from the Lord, an open book test. Who didn't love the teachers that we would walk in and they would, they would say the day before the test, tomorrow's test is an open book. See, for a squeaker like me, that meant I'm going to go hang out with my friends tonight. I'm not studying. I got an open book test next day, right? There's no application in that to this message. Uh, but, but if you're a squeaker, you understand that. But you love, I love the teachers that said it's an open book test. Every single test from the Lord is an open book test. John 14, 26, that, and the Holy Spirit makes it that. John 14, 26 says this about the Holy Spirit. That his job is to bring to remembrance all that he has said to us. How incredible that God's word is central to our tests. That he is going to remind us of everything that the Father has spoken to us. Remind us everything that Christ has spoken in his word. As we go through a test, his word has got to be central. He is a faithful study partner uh, before the test. Uh, the Holy Spirit is. And he's your guy in the chair during the test. Right? Like he's calling in an airstrike for you in the midst of the test. This is the, the Holy Spirit's job. Uh, his, uh, he's described as knowing the mind of God. Right? Scripture's clear. We don't know the mind of God. Right? In our natural man. But the Holy Spirit knows exactly in every moment what God would will for you, and then he's whispering to you every time in your ear, hey, here's where we go. Here's what we do. As you're going through the test, you've got a guy in the chair, and it is uh, the Holy Spirit. God wants to show you the results like a doctor coming up with a plan to get you healthy, not condemning uh, you uh, with a pass-fail and yelling at you. God is looking at your test results with you and saying, let's go through this. Let's learn from this. Here's where I'm guiding you in my word. And then finally, the test is to refine your view of God. Testing your faith is like uh, the middle turning knob on the binoculars, right? So you've got um, 
you've got these binoculars, and as you're going through a test, you're looking at the promises of God and the character of God uh, eternally in one sense, and, and you're, you're relying on the things that you don't see uh, day to day, and, and boy, we are counting day to day on the blessings of God. We're counting on the direction of His Holy Spirit. We're counting on His strength to get through, and as we walk by faith, when we get tested, testing is just this. It's using the little turning knob and adjusting your sights so that you can see one thing, and that is God himself. Because he is the one that is going to carry you. He is the one that is going to lead you. It's incredible uh, to see Abraham go through. And then we get to uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. It says, so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. So Abraham, last week, he was the eternal God. Uh, last week, uh, Sarah was sitting in her chair, and Sarah was saying, he's faithful. He's faithful, Abe. He's faithful. And Abraham's in his chair last week, and the way they had encountered, right? This is about 20 years before now, this week. And he's saying, show enough. He's going he's gonna to provide now. He's not just faithful and eternal every day, but 20 years later, after still seeking God for 20 years, he's able to say, God is going to be faithful to provide everything that I need in every circumstance. And the picture of Abraham's faith is this contentment before, during, and after his testing. See, the gospel is just seen so clearly in this picture of Abraham and Isaac. God wouldn't allow Abel to feel the full weight of sacrificing his son. God wouldn't allow it. He, he stopped him. He knew that that would, uh, that would taint the picture, that that was something that was uh, going to be uh, a picture of what Christ would do. Uh, the sacrificing of a father and his son when, when he would allow Jesus to be mocked and beaten and slaughtered. And that was a picture of this, but he didn't put that full weight on Abraham. But praise God, he put that full weight on himself. Praise God. See, the whole uh, background is that um, Isaiah 61.6 says this, uh, that what Jesus was doing uh, was opening the prison to those who are bound. There was a purpose in, in, in God taking out his son. There is a purpose in Jesus coming, and it's a personal purpose for each one of us. God created everything perfect. God's design was flawless in the Garden of Eden. And then by the time we get just a few chapters in, to the book of Genesis in chapter 3, we mar the creation. We mar it with sin. God's got a beautiful, perfect, sinless design, and we mar it with our sin. We did that. We broke the picture. And so uh, as we walk through that, there is brokenness because of our sin. But God is a redeeming God that wants to make the picture perfect. So God's design was perfect. It was broken by our sin. It brought brokenness to all. 
we all experience, bro you ever experience brokenness in your life? You ever experience unmet expectations? You ever get let down? You ever get hurt? You ever make a choice that you uh, realize your own sinful nature, right? Daily, right? There's brokenness. But God is about redeeming things through Jesus Christ. And so when God took his son, he said, there's these people that are experiencing brokenness, and the way to fix that is me. So he took a part of himself, his son Jesus Christ, he led him to the cross, he paid our sin fine so that we could go free. Isaiah 61.6 again says that he, his job was opening the prison of those who were bound. We are bound to sin, death, hell, the grave for eternity, and Christ redeems that as our story so that we have the ability to walk with him now and forevermore in eternity. So we're going to sing uh, one last song uh, together. Um, but boy, if you are here and you are experiencing a test and you need encouragement through prayer, you come forward for our prayer time or pray with somebody that looks spiritual next to you. Um, he wants to set you free from your bondage to sin eternally too. If there is somebody here that desires to begin a relationship with God, if you all stand, uh, there will be prayer counselors up front that would love to pray with you to receive Christ. And um, it is as easy as believing and receiving as John 1.12 says. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word and how it does the work. Uh, God, I thank you for your spirit that illuminates us to you and, and how you're moving around us. God, I pray that as we worship you with one more song, God, that you would receive honor and glory through our response to you and your work in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.